want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. As we started last week, we started talking about the full armor of God. And so as we're still talking about the full armor of God, recognize that we're going to be talking about this for a while. This is not going to be a sprint that we're just going to run right through this. But this is going to be a marathon race that we're going to go. We're going to take our time. We're going to break it up piece by piece. And as we break it up piece by piece, uh, we're going to be able to absorb it a lot better and we're going to be able to more importantly walk in it a lot better. Amen. So as we look here in the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, as we take a look at this, last week just want to remind you uh, that we looked at verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, the importance of not uh, uh, fighting the battle in our own might, not fighting the battle in our own strength, but fighting the battle in God's strength and in God's might. Amen. Because whenever we try to fight the battle in our own strength and our own might, it's not but if that we are. Absolutely. We're going to lose. Amen. We're going to lose that battle. But when we fight the battle in His strength and in His might, Something that we're going to see this morning as we begin to understand, he already has the victory. It's not just that he's going to gain the victory, he already has the victory. Amen. And when we're walking in him, we too, <coughs> excuse me, we too have that victory. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Father God, I pray right now that you just have your way in the preaching of your word. Give me the words. Give me the clarity of voice this morning. Give me the wisdom to proclaim it. I pray for your anointing that it would just fall down upon me that you'd anoint the ears of each one of us to be able to hear and Lord that we would see fruit this morning as a result of the preaching of your word. We come now and we ask all these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So as we take a look this morning, we find here in verse 11, he tells us to put on the full armor of God. And so as we begin to look at that, we also find here the reason of why we put on the full armor of God. We put on the full armor of God, the Bible says there in verse 11, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And so that is the purpose of taking on the full armor of God. We're not ready yet to exactly look at what the full armor of God is and exactly how we're going to put on the full armor of God, but I want you to understand, first of all, just as we did last week, the purpose of the full armor of God, the purpose of putting on the full armor of God, and that purpose is that we can be able to stand firm, we'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And so as we understand that and recognize that we stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God here is telling us to stand firm. He tells us again in verse 12, he says, therefore take upon the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So God is telling us twice to take upon the full armor of God. First of all, to put on the full armor of God. Secondly, to take up the full armor of God. And both times he tells us 
and it's for the very purpose that we can stand firm. Amen? We want to be able to stand firm. We don't want to be knocked down. We don't want to be kicked down. We don't want to have our feet kicked out from underneath us. We want to be able to stand firm. And so as we begin to understand why God wants us to stand firm, what is the purpose in God wanting us to stand firm, we need to recognize that it is for the purpose of putting on a defensive position. Now, there's times, there's plenty of times that the Christian needs to be on the offense and as the Christian is on the offense, we recognize that that Christian is going against the Satan, against the things of the kingdom of Satan and that Christian and the church is on full out offense as he's going to attack and tear down the, 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 the territories of the enemy we find in Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, there it is that God told Joshua and God told the children of Israel, He said, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, it shall be yours. And so what did He mean when He said every place on which the sole of your foot treads, it's going to be yours. That word tread is warfare terminology. And as that word tread is warfare terminology, it means that I am going on the enemy's territory and I am now claiming that that no longer belongs to the enemy, but that now belongs to me. And more importantly, it belonged to God. Amen. As God said that He's going to give them this land, that land that belonged to the Canaanites, that land that belonged to the heathenistic nations of the world. God said, when you go and you tread upon that land, it's no longer going to be their land. It's going to be God's land. And God is giving you that land. So that is warfare terminology. We also see in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus told the church, Jesus told His disciples, He said, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. And so as we look at this, the gates... The gates are meant to be defensive, right? Gates are meant to keep people out. Gates are not on the offensive. You know, we're not worried about gates attacking us, right? We're not worried about gates coming after us. We're worried about the gates keeping us out of the places that we want to get into. And so as Jesus is saying right there, He's saying for the church and for the kingdom of God to be on the offensive, we go and we tear down those gates and those gates cannot stand in His name. They're going to come down. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so certainly we need to go on the offensive. There's many times that we need to go on the offensive. We're on the offensive whenever we share the gospel. Amen. And it is our heart and it is our desire to see God snatch those lost souls out of the fiery pits of hell to bring them out of the domain of darkness and to bring him, bring them into his marvelous light. And so certainly we're going on the offensive whenever we're doing that. But when, when the Bible tells us right here to stand firm, we're not standing firm being on the offensive. We're standing firm being on the defensive. In fact, as we look here at the full armor of God, we recognize it as we begin to break it down. Every single item of the full armor of God, one hundred percent of it that is listed right here is for defense. Amen. It is for defending your position. It is for defending your territory, for defending your ground and standing your ground so that we can stand firm and resist the scheme of the devil so that we can stand firm and 
resist then that evil day as the word of God tells us and so when we look at the full armor of God here certainly the sword it can be used for the offensive but it is also used for the defensive but something that is very interesting right here that is missing from the armor of God that would have been in every Roman soldier's attire and every Roman soldier's arsenal, it was the spear. Now the spear was never meant to be a defensive weapon. The spear is only meant to be an offensive weapon. But here it is not mentioned. It's not, it's not brought up. And every Roman soldier would have had a spear. But here the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit did not bring that up. And the reason why he did not bring it up is because this armor right here is not intended to be on the offensive. It is it is intended to be on the defensive. And so we ask ourselves the question, well, why then do we as Christians need to be on the defensive? Because we need to understand that we have a struggle. Amen. We have a battle. We have a war that is being raged in the heavenly places. In fact, here it is in verse 12. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have a struggle. We have a battle. We have a spiritual war. We have a spiritual fight. Now, when you look at that word struggle right there and you begin to understand that word struggle, that word struggle is actually a word that, that, that can be interpreted as wrestle, that, that you have a, a wrestling match, if you will, uh, not against the flesh, but against the, the, the spiritual forces that we're going to break down beginning next week and start looking at those spiritual forces next week. But our struggle is like a wrestling match, if you will. It is that wrestling match. It is that match or struggle, a contest between two uh, until one hurls the other down to the ground. That's literally what that word means. Amen. Until one is hurled down to the ground, you're going to have that struggle. And so what God is telling us to do right here, He's telling us to stand firm. Don't be the one who is hurled down to the ground. Don't be the one who gets the, your feet knocked out from underneath you. But I have given you to you the tools. I have given to you the ability. I have given to you everything that you need to be able to stand firm, to be able to stand strong, to be able to be on the defensive and to succeed within the defensive position that I have put you in. And so as we begin to recognize this, whenever we stand firm, whenever we stand our ground, we're not going out there on the offensive. We're not battling against the, uh, the spiritual forces of this world to drive them out or to drive them away as we would in the offensive. We're not going out to win souls as you know, certainly God has called us to do. But as we're looking at right here, we're on the defensive. We're defending our ground. We're defending our territory. So really what we're doing is we're defending ourselves, right? We're defending ourselves. We're defending our own spiritual life. We're defending our own spiritual territory. Whereas the devil comes in on that evil day and he's trying to wrestle with you. He's trying to contend with you for the purpose of casting you down to the ground. And as he casts you down to the ground, you've lost the battle. You've lost the fight. You're also not only 
only defending your own territory, but you're defending your family's territory. Amen. You're standing your ground for the sake of your family. You're standing your ground for the sake of your spouse. You're standing your ground for the sake of your children. You're standing your ground for the sake of your grandchildren. You're standing your ground for the spiritual well-being and defense of your family because Satan wants nothing more than to come in and try to destroy them, to try to tear them down, to try to absolutely ruin them and to contend with them for the purpose of tearing them down and casting them to the ground. Listen, if the devil can't get you, then he'll go after your family. That's why I believe firmly that you see so many pastors, families, family members fall. Because if you can't get them, he'll go after their family. So I covet your prayers, but pray for my family too. Amen? And so as we begin to look at that and begin to think about that, we all need to stand our ground for the sake of ourselves, but certainly we need to stand our ground for the sake of our families. We also need to stand our ground for the sake of our churches. Amen? For the sake of our churches. Because God has placed our churches here for a strategic reason, and that strategic reason is for offensive, but it is for defensive as well. And so we as the individual members of the body, we as the individual members of the church, we need to stand our ground. We need to stand firm for the sake of our churches, because if the devil can't get you, and the devil can't get your family, then guess what? He's coming after your church. And today he's coming after the church wholeheartedly and he is doing everything he could possibly do to try to destroy the church. And we need to stand our ground. We need to stand firm. We need to put upon the full armor of God. We, we need to take up the full armor of God and stand firm for ourselves, for our family, and for our church. The church as a whole certainly has offensive responsibilities to go out and wage war in the offense. But in this spiritual struggle, in this spiritual battle, in this spiritual wrestling match, we need to stand firm. We need to stand our ground. Because, friends, Satan's having a field day. Amen? The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more fierce the battle is going to be, the more intense the battle is going to be. He's going to come after us all the more. We already see it happening. Amen? It's happening more and more and people are falling away. People are slipping by the wayside. Many are packing their bags and going home. Amen? But as we begin to look at this, friends... The more that day draws near, the more we need one another. The more that day draws near, the more we need Jesus within our lives to strengthen us and encourage us and empower us. But you see, as it is that we stand firm, we stand our ground, we ask ourselves, well, why in the world would a Christian be on the defensive? Why in the world would church be on the defensive? 
Shouldn't we always be on the offensive? Shouldn't we always be the ones that are going out there on the offensive? And yes, we absolutely should be on the offensive. But friends, as we look at this particular text of Scripture, he's not talking at all about being on the offensive. He's talking about being on the defensive of standing your ground and not moving. And so we ask ourselves the question, well, why, why should we just stand our ground? Why should we sit there and, 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 and just be in that defensive position instead of trying to constantly, as a Christian and as a Christian family and as a church, why shouldn't we try to be pressing forward? Well, I'm going to give you a very simple answer of why it is as, as a Christian and as a Christian family and as a church of why we're not continually pushing forward in the a very simple answer to that question is because we already have the victory. We're already standing in a position of victory. Amen? The battle has already been won. The war has already been declared as victorious and Jesus Christ has been victorious and as Jesus Christ has been victorious all those who are in Christ are victorious as well. Now don't get me wrong, he's, the devil's still going to come and the devil's still going to come after God's children and he's going to try to push you back a notch and push you back a notch and push you back a notch until you get to that point where he just casts you down to the ground and try to win those small victories to where he could have more of a foothold in your life, in your family's life, and in your church's life, to where ultimately you will fail, though Christ who's in you has that ultimate victory. So don't make the mistake that just because we have the victory already in Christ, that Satan's not going to come and attack. Because you see, there's several mistakes that Christians make, and as we, those, the, the Christians make those several different mistakes, they, uh, they begin to, uh, to, to make the mistakes of not recognizing the fact that we are in a struggle. We are in a battle. And the battle is absolutely real. So as we recognize that we are in a struggle, we are in a battle, though we do have victory in Christ, we have ultimate victory in Christ when we recognize that yes, though we have that victory in Christ, we are still in a struggle and we are still in a battle. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us this, it says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Don't let your guard down. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we need to be sober. We need to be on the alert. We do need to recognize that, yes, we do have an adversary, and he does want to come and wrestle with us for the very purpose of casting us down to the ground. Trying to destroy us individual, try to destroy our families, and try to destroy our churches. See, when it comes to the world, when it comes to 
the community, when it comes to everything out there, we're on the offensive. But right here, we need to be on the defensive and we need to stand our ground. And that ground that we're standing on is a ground of victory. That's our starting position is victory. But we need to be sober and we need to be on the alert and we don't need to be a fool and and not realize that Satan is after us. Especially if you're an on fire believer that is on fire for him, sold out for serving him. Guess what? I've got some news for you. I don't want to share this with you to try to scare you this morning, but to just allow you to be informed to where you will know the closer you get to the Lord Jesus Christ, the closer Satan wants to get to you because he's not worried about the casual Christian. They're of no threat to him. But when you get on fire, sold out for Jesus and ready to serve him and be on the offensive and do the work of the kingdom of God, I can promise you he's coming after you with everything that he has. Amen? Why? Because you have now become a threat to his territory. You have now become a threat to his kingdom. The casual Christian, the Sunday morning attender, you're not a real threat to him. He's not all that worried about you. But all friends, when you decide to get sold out and on fire, you don't have to fear them, but you do need to be aware of him. Amen? 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Why don't we have to be afraid of him? Because verse 6 tells us this. It says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in proper time. See, if you're going out there in your own strength and you're going out there in your own power and your own might and your own wisdom, guess what? You're going out there in pride. But when you humble yourself, therefore before the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you. What does it mean to humble yourself? It means, Jesus, I can't, but you can. And I'm totally dependent upon your power because I'm lost without you. As a Christian, as a child of God, as a born-again believer that's been bought in the blood of Jesus Christ and is sealed in the Holy Spirit into the day of redemption, I am still utterly lost and useless apart from you. Therefore, I need to humble myself. Therefore, before the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt me in due time. Because the devil doesn't have a chance against Jesus. Amen? It's not that he's going to lose. He's already lost. It's already a done deal. So as we look at that, we look on in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5, and he says, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So when we think about that and begin to understand that and understand that we have the victory, But we don't need to be prideful, we don't need to be arrogant, and we don't need to lose focus that we do have an adversary that is coming after us and he wants to destroy us. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us this, Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
So if your faith is in Jesus, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believed on Jesus for salvation, He is in you and you are in Him. As we talked about last week, then guess what? You've already overcome the world. But it's not that you have, it's that He has within you. You look at the verse right before this. In verse 4 He says, For whatever is born of God... Born of God, the born-again believer in Jesus, for whatever is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Amen? Our faith. Our faith in who? Our faith in Jesus. Not our faith in ourselves, not our faith in our pastor, not our faith in our mama's faith, not our faith in our own personal church or denomination or anything like that, but our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Why? Because Jesus is the one who's overcome the world. Jesus is the one who's overcome the world. Beginning of the book of Ephesians, we find in Ephesians chapter 1, In verse 18, we find here, beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, But I pray that your eyes may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are are the riches of His glory and the inheritance in His saints, and what is the surpassing greatness in His power towards us who believe that are in accordance with the working of of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead that glorious day. Amen? When He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above the rule and all rule and all authority and power and dominion and at, the name, at, or at and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, Jesus has absolute victory. Jesus has absolute power. And in him and through him, He is all and all. That's why the very last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8 tells us this, it says, Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Why is this significant that that is the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Is because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about the gospel, it's about the death, it is about the burial, and ultimately is it, about the, it is about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is one! He is victorious. All death, where is your sting? Has no sting. Jesus has defeated the devil. Amen? So therefore, when we stand firm, when we stand firm, we are standing firm. We are standing in a position of victory. Not only do Christians make the mistake of not knowing that they have an adversary and not knowing that they have a battle, but they also make the mistake of not knowing where the battlefield is. 
They get confused, and I believe this is happening greatly to a great extent in our world today. They don't know where the battlefield is. He says, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world, force of this darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, the battlefield is not in Washington, D.C., Amen? The battlefield is not in the Oval Office. The battlefield is not in the House of Congress. The battlefield is not in the seats of Senate. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual struggle. Joe Biden is not our enemy. Doesn't mean that I have to like what he does and the things that he stands for because I believe that the things that he stands for is of the enemy who is the devil. I believe that is blatantly clear. So I could absolutely stand opposed to the things that he stands for because God is absolutely opposed to the things that he stands for. But it's a spiritual battle. And if we don't battle it in spiritual ways, we're going to lose. Not sometimes, but every time. So let me give you an example. One of the great things that they're pushing, they're they're, they're pushing extraordinarily hard. This idea of Man wants to call himself a woman is okay. If a woman wants to call himself herself a man, then it's okay. And we shouldn't use pronouns and we shouldn't label people with those pronouns because we don't really know what they are. We don't really know who they are because they don't really know what they are and they don't really know who they are. Transgender, it's okay. It's perfectly fine, even though the Bible says that God created them male. And female. But just to get a look at the spiritual aspect of this, our worldview should always come through the lens of the Word of God. Always come through the lens of the Word of God. No matter what, it should always come through the lens of the Word of God. But let's just take the Bible out of it just for a moment. This idea of transgender... Scientifically, it does not make sense. It does not exist. We we as Christians get accused, y'all don't believe in science. Well, obviously, they don't believe in science. Either you're born a male or you're born a female. You could have all the operations in the world. You could have parts added to you. You could have parts taken off of you. But guess what? You're still either a man as you were born or you're a woman. As you were born. So philosophically, logically, scientifically, it it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but the world is just going right along with it. Even though it makes absolutely no logical sense, take the Bible out of it, it makes no logical sense whatsoever. 
Why? And I'm not talking about dumb people. We're talking about educated people. Intelligent people. They're not fools. So why does that make sense to them? Because it's not about physical realities. It's a spiritual battle. And if we're going to have spiritual victories, we're going to have to battle spiritually. I don't want to see one single transgender person go to hell. They're not our enemies. They've been blinded in the spiritual realm, so in the offensive. I need to go to them in prayer and pray for them that God would spiritually open their eyes so that they could see because the God of this world has blinded them. I need to cast the seed of the Word of God so that the Word of God would penetrate their heart just as the blind men that were there on the day of Pentecost who heard the Word of God preached and it pierced their heart and they said, Brethren, what shall we do? They say, well, y'all shouldn't be so judgmental and Mean-spirited. I'm not being judgmental and mean-spirited. I just want to shed some light in utter darkness. But on the flip side of that coin, the world hates us. Not all of them. But this idea of everybody, let's just have unity and let's sit around the campfire and let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya, that world does not exist. They want to sit us down, they want to shut us up, and they want to shut us out. Amen? Amen? But remember, our struggle is not against them. It's a spiritual struggle. It's a spiritual battle. So how are we going to win? Not in our own strength. Not in our own might. Go in it with a philosophical argument or a logical argument or Try to, try to talk to them in human terms, you're going to lose. But in the strength and the victory that we already have in Christ, we start the battle with standing firm in Christ. Don't be moved. Don't be wavered. Don't be beat down. Don't let the devil cast you down. But stand firm. Will it be easy? No. 
Will it be trying? Absolutely. But God has promised in His Word He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That He is our refuge and our strength. Very present help in a time of trouble. Amen? So stand firm. As you stand this this morning, friend, the only way that you can truly stand firm in the victory of Christ is if you are in Christ and He is in you. If you're not in Christ and He's not in you, you have nothing to stand and you have no ground to stand on. The ground beneath your feet is going to crumble and it's going to fall. But listen, today if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you could come to Him today right here, right now. Believe on Him by faith and He will give you from now to the time He calls you home. Not just stand firm in this situation, but in anything and everything. Every struggle, every battle, every war, every difficult, trying day, He will be there with you. So friend, I can promise you, you don't want to die without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you live for another 75 years, you don't want to live a moment of it without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you come and receive Him? Come this morning, I'd be more than happy to introduce Him to you. If you're a Christian, you're going through a battle right now, let us pray for you. Amen? This altar's open for you, and you can use these chairs right there as an altar. You come as God so leads.